Здравствуйте, доброе утро, good morning and uh, welcome to the Euractive Online Conference uh, Human Rights in Kazakhstan, the road ahead. My name is Georgi Gotov. Uh, I'm senior editor with Euractive.com and I regularly report on Central Asia and uh, Kazakhstan in particular. If you read uh, Euractive Bulgaria behind my back, uh, that's because I'm in Sofia. I'm also the proud uh, publisher of uh, Euractive Bulgaria. Um, as you know, um, Euractive is uh, the European uh, uh, media network uh, and we bring together stakeholders from, uh, from Europe uh, and also from uh, different nations. Uh, today we have two uh, outstanding uh, keynote speakers, uh, Elvira Zimova, Human Rights Commissioner of Kazakhstan, and uh, Jemis Turmagambetova, Executive Director of the Public Fund, uh, Charter for Human Rights of Kazakhstan in our Euractive office in Brussels. They will speak in Russian and the translation uh, will be uh, provided. I think that online conferences are great uh, because the distance doesn't matter. Uh, distances should not be important when the relations between the countries are close. Uh, recently, I interviewed uh, Yerzhan uh, Kazikhan, a uh, special representative uh, of the President of Kazakhstan for International Cooperation, uh, who called the EU a uh, distant neighbor of Kazakhstan. I really uh, like uh, this uh, formulation. Uh, and I have had the honor and the pleasure to interview recently Elvira Zimova. Actually, it was online because in the context of the COVID crisis, uh, I didn't travel to Kazakhstan and the region as much as I wished to. Let's hope the situation is changing. In this interview, we discussed uh, uh, the European Parliament resolution adopted in February, which criticized Kazakhstan for its uh, human rights record. Uh, I'm not going to repeat what uh, Mrs. Azimova said. You can find the interview uh, on our website. But uh, in a nutshell, the Kazakh position is that uh, this resolution was biased and that the EU should not ignore or discourage the efforts to improve the country's record on human rights. Uh, notably, uh, the country's president, uh, Kasim Jomar Tokayev, uh, last month uh, signed a decree on further measures of the Republic of Kazakhstan in the field of human rights, uh, which uh, uh, as he said, uh, represent an important step in the political modernization of the country. In my journalistic uh, experience, uh, I see Kazakhstan as a country which doesn't reform under foreign pressure, as it was the case for some countries in uh, the eastern part of Europe, but because its leadership considers that uh, uh, reforms are good for the nation and for the, its citizens. Uh, President Tokayev uh, has introduced the no notion of a listening state and has embarked in what I have called many times in my articles, controlled democratization. Vis-à-vis uh, -vis the EU, uh, Kazakhstan is not a demandeur. It does not want to join the Union, but it wants uh, uh, the best relations, which are beneficial uh, both economically and also for a healthy geopolitical balance. In that sense, uh, if Kazakhstan improves its human rights records, it would not be because of EU pressure, uh, 
and actually sometimes EU pressure can be uh, counterproductive. This is my perspective. Thank you for your patience for my introductory remarks. Um, um, I'm only an observer and if you disagree with me, uh, I would be glad to give you the floor in the second part of our meeting. Uh, you can uh, push the ask button and uh, put down your uh, question indicating uh, your name and uh, to whom you are asking uh, the question. Uh, but I would uh, like now to give the floor uh, for welcoming uh, remarks to the Ambassador of Kazakhstan to the EU, uh, Belgium, uh, Mr. Uh, Margulan uh, uh, Baimukhan, uh, who arrived recently and uh, whom I had uh, the honor and the pleasure to meet physically in a nice surrounding in beautiful uh, Ukla. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, the floor is yours. <coughs> Yes, uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for your uh, invitation. And uh, I'm really uh, happy to join uh, today's uh, online conference, conference. And I, I hope we will have good discussion about uh, the topic which you mentioned before, Mr. Gotov. And uh, let me allow uh, to give the remarks my uh, short speech and uh, about our meeting. And uh, dear me, John. Georgi Gotev, dear Commissioner Elvira Zimova, dear guests, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for uh, your joining us today. I'm delighted to meet you and I'm looking forward to inspiring conversation to further enhance Kazakhstan-EU relations, uh, especially on such an important track as a rule of uh, law and human rights. Uh, a little over a year ago, uh, the Kazakhstan-EU Enhanced Partnership and Cooperation Agreement entered into force. The PA, ACPCA is a landmark agreement and the first of its uh, kind of its region. The key challenge for all of us now is lies in the implementation of cooperation agreed in the 29th fields of work. DPC also underpins, underpins Kazakhstan's effort to further improve the respect for human rights and the rule of law. Further enhancing the human rights situation is a priority action. I therefore wish to underline that Kazakhstan is actively, actively engaged in a human rights dialogue with the EU. The 12th and the most recent annual Kazakhstan-EU human rights dialogue took place last november as equal partners both sides openly and frankly frankly discussed a broad range of human rights issues the visit of our commission for human rights and the and the, the member of the national commission of public trust it's demonstrated the fact that kazakhstan is ready to work constructively with european partners and, and invite key stakeholders for from kazakhstan to brussels so that european experts and politicians can get information first hand. Uh, let me firstly assure you that Kazakhstan continues to be committed to its international human rights obligations. In this regard, I ask our today's guests to consider Kazakhstan's gradual reform efforts against the larger historical background. Kazakhstan is a young country that celebrates 30 years of independence this year. We have made uh, great strides uh, within a short time frame and we will continue to develop, deliver of, on our ambitions uh, reforms uh, plans. 
As you know, Kazakhstan is a full-fledged participant of more than 60 universal international human rights uh, treaties, including the seven core UN Conventions on Human Rights, the so-called core international human rights instruments. Secondly, it's important to stress our understanding that the Kazakhstan and EU are indeed equal partners. As such as we should support each other's efforts to offer our citizens the best possible social, socio-economic and political uh, framework to uh, thrive. To ensure regular, regular exchange of views in this regard, we suggested creating a working group between uh, Kazakhstan Minister of Justice and the EU delegation in Nur Sultan that would uh, meet on a monthly basis. Uh, dear guests, uh, our uh, guests from Kazakhstan, uh, uh, dear Mr. Gotev, uh, in this spirit, I am looking forward to your conversation with Madame Azimov and Madame Jemistur uh, Turbagambetova. I wish us, I wish us uh, an interesting discussion. Uh, thank you for your attention. I hope, and we will have a good. Uh, uh good opportunity now uh, in order the, in order to exchange our uh, point of views in different uh, fields thank you very much for your attention thanks you want kazakhstan are equal partners uh, now again some housekeeping after uh, the two keynote speakers uh, will finish their remarks, so you will be able to ask uh, questions in writing, press, pressing the Ask button. When you put down your question, please identify yourself and mention to whom you are asking your questions. And now, without further ado, I will give the floor to Elvira Zimova, Human Rights uh, Commissioner of Kazakhstan. Dear uh, Elvira Zimova, thank you for being uh, uh, with us in Brussels. It's a honor. The floor is yours. Я приветствую не только вас, уважаемый господин Готов, но и тех, кто сейчас watching and listening us at the moment. And I think that there are some positive and reasonable conclusions that will be made by all of us after we hold this dialogue. In fact, when we talk about human rights and when we talk about the obligations of the state to observe and respect the, uh, their, uh, its obligations, I think it's very important to assess the situation in the state and particular steps or actions that draw the attention uh, of both the external observers and those uh, those inside the country. Because it is very important to arrive at a mutually acceptable solution that would not just uh, generate emotions, be they negative or positive, but also would help us to make sure that these uh, violations do not become systemic and will not be seen as egregious um, violations. If we were to speak about Kazakhstan, our distinguished uh, ambassador has already mentioned this, Kazakhstan is indeed a young state, and we we uh, gained our independence 30 years ago, and the most important in the stance of Kazakhstan is that 
in any international dialogue, we, uh, we never say, we are only a young state, please give us some time, we will um, do this later after we've uh, um, increased our capacity. We do not do this. And I think this is a very important thing, because despite being so young, despite its young age, our country continues to grow and uh, it continues to identify new uh, objectives. If we were to talk about the most recent trends, I can say as an ombudsman uh, that I was uh, elected in September 2019. I was elected by the Senate of the Parliament. In Kazakhstan's history, I am uh, uh, the third ombudsman, but actually the system um, that uh, is enshrined in the in uh, in the constitution uh, in 2017 means that there's now an election of an ombudsman. So I went through this uh, process of election, and I think I need to say that after a fairly lengthy period, this office was first established in uh, 2002 in Kazakhstan, and currently. We are growing the capacity of this office um, of the Ombudsman as someone who is not only observing the situation with regards to human rights, but also who introduces suggestions. Of course, it is very important for me to have supporters. I cannot make exceptions. Uh, I cannot um, favor uh, NGOs. Because the parliament is the legislative body that is supposed to be adopting laws that will work in favor and for the good of the nation of Kazakhstan. Also, I cannot exclude uh, civil society um, representatives because they can have a differ differing opinion and other suggestions, different suggestions. But my job is to consolidate uh, various opinions and, and try and arrive at um, at the consolidated position, because only this can help us to uh, arrive at a sustainable uh, uh, approach and uh, elaborate an acceptable position that will be welcomed by most people, by the majority. So I guess this is not just the ombudsman's approach, but also the approach of the political parties and public organizations who have long-term objectives, who hope to be here for the for a long time and uh, meet their goals in the future. The same can be said about Kazakhstan. We are currently a full-fledged uh, member of the UN. And the first thing I would like to mention is that, uh, yes, indeed, Kazakhstan has signed the Enhanced Cooperation and Partnership Agreement between uh, Kazakhstan and uh, EU member states. And in fact, this agreement came into force very recently. But I can tell you that unlike the old agreement, uh, the partnership agreement, this agreement is comprehensive. And it uh, envisages a number of areas of cooperation between the EU and Kazakhstan. And I wanted to point out two very important things about this agreement. Is that, uh, the first one is that we have chapters uh, dedicated to the cooperation between the EU and Kazakhstan as related to the de democratic uh, development, uh, rule of law, and human rights. And the second aspect uh, means that the process of dialogue includes not only the official 
authorities of the EU and Kazakhstan, but also the civil society. And in fact, civil society in partnership in a tripartite format is the subject of uh, a separate uh, article, separate chapter in the agreement. And I would like for this chapter to be uh, fully engaged, fully active, and uh, the um, upcoming civic forum that will be attended by by representatives of the EU and as um, some of the MEPs who we met yesterday mentioned um, they will also be taking part and this is extremely important because we need to be hearing not only the opinion of the official circles we need to be hearing also the opinions of the NGOs and those citizens who are living in European member states and in Kazakhstan and I can say that it is not always that the opinions of the official authorities and Mr. Gotev, you have mentioned the European Parliament resolution. It doesn't always uh, coincide um, with the official line, uh, the official human rights line. We need to be proceeding from the fact that these are individual rights. And if you define for yourself, if you, if you were to take the issue of domestic violence, for example, you can say that domestic violence is unacceptable. I can tell you that some people believe that the official line on uh, the official stance on the on um, combating domestic violence actually undermines traditional values. So we need to understand that this is a very complicated process, an extremely complicated process where the opinion of the public and the opinion, the official opinion, need to coincide. Obviously, we will have dimensions. We will have, uh, on the one hand, the rights of the individuals. On the other hand, we will have the rights of the majority. And what we see in the European Union is uh, the vaccination campaign. Uh, we can see uh, what is going on, uh, what is happening with personal data. I know that this is an issue that's been uh, up for debate for quite some time. And obviously, we're not excluded from this process. We have different opinions because this is an issue of uh, uh, the relationship between the rights of the individual and the rights of the majority. Of course, in Kazakhstan, we cannot ignore the processes that are taking part in our country. And during our visit, I was planning to actually um, say um, that you cannot assess uh, or evaluate a country remotely from a distance without having visited it. We need to look to our citizens. They um, have more freedom of movement. Of course, during the pandemic, that, movement, that freedom of movement uh, has been restricted. But there is a theory that says that at some point in the future, uh, our borders uh, of the Schengen area or Kazakhstan will not be a barrier. Same as our conference today. When you are in uh, Bulgaria, we are located in Brussels, we're talking to each other, and that's just part of our daily life. And we can uh, try and resist it, but uh, these processes are taking place. Another thing is that we need to identify some red flags or green flags. Um, red lines that we cannot cross. So we can say we can go here uh, and we need to create better conditions. We need to make sure that the main principles are uh, respected, I mean human rights. Um, and this is why we have this term, and I really like it, uh, egregious violation of human rights. 
when Kazakhstan speaks at an, in an international arena, when it undertakes obligations, it, says, it, it always says that it is uh, unacceptable to um, commit egregious violations of human rights. As an ombudsman, I can say that in the history of uh, EU member states, Kazakhstan and globally, many states have um, adopted various models uh, for this office. In some countries, it's a, uh, there's a parliamentary model. In some countries, it's a presidential model. In some countries, it's basically a part of the government. So it is an official that represents the Ministry of Justice, for example, or the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs. We know, know that in some countries, this model exists as well. for the ombudsman's um, office. But I think the most important thing is that in all of these models, this office really aims to give an independent analysis of the human rights situation in the country. As for me, as an ombudsman, I cannot ignore the things that are happening, the processes that are ongoing in Kazakhstan. and I recognize that uh, this trend uh, is positive. We are growing our capacity. Obviously, there are difficult things. And my, my position in the human rights defender's uh, position doesn't always coincide with the, with the position of the government. But we need to be talking. We need to be consulting. And for the uh, relationship between the EU and Kazakhstan, this is obviously also not an exception. We need to have this dialogue at all levels, um, at the level of official circles and at the unofficial uh, level as well. So I wanted to thank those MEPs whom I met already, and Madame Jemuster Magambetova met them with me. Among them, there are MEPs with different um, positions. Um, different opinions, but to, we were united in our desire to understand the real situation and to understand what the process is and what, uh, how it's uh, going. In uh, Kazakhstan in 2009, forwarded an open invitation to, to all of the special procedures of the UN, and uh, our president, Mr. Tokayev, took the decision to to accede um, to two more committees of the UN, apart from the four that we have already acceded to. It's the Committee on the Rights of the Child and the Committee on the Rights of the Disabled People. And we know that these things are watched very closely by, by our public. And uh, this is uh, also the uh, things that are being evaluated in each country, because we're talking about equal opportunities for all social groups. So in this regard, there is another question. How do we do it? How do we ensure it? And how do we uh, create an, a functioning mechanism, not only to uh, submit complaints, but also how does the state then respond to these complaints? So when we say that Kazakhstan is open to dialogue, we need to be looking at how the country implemented these uh, norms in its legislation. Secondly, how is 
uh, well, is there a real uh, mechanism for implementation? Because sometimes we can have a perfect sounding law, and I think the uh, EP resolution is uh, ideal from the point of view of universal values. But if we wanted to see the mechanism, if we wanted to see the efficiency of this uh, uh, instrument, we need to see how it works locally. We need to see how the human rights defenders are working. They are working with the grassroots, how, uh, how uh, human rights are being promoted, how these values are being promoted. And when we talk about laws, and when we talk about the basic law, uh, the, the fundamental law in the Constitution, sometimes these laws can be great sounding, but when we actually start looking at the real situation, we can see good things and bad things. Obviously, we need to be working on the bad things, but there's a third thing here, and that's uh, the fact that we need to uh, create our own models, because uh, a country will have its own mentality, its own interests and ideologies, uh, and they cannot be ignored. European uh, countries interprets and positions uh, some of the values in a particular way, but doesn't always apply to, say, an Asian country. And so the most important thing is the end result, which should not be in conflict with, with the basic values that are enshrined in the international document. And this is the path that we have chosen. Kazakhstan has said that the values that are enshrined in the Declaration on UN Conventions, they, they are the priority. And uh, today's, our current president is a professional diplomat. And he uh, understands, like, and like nobody else, he understands that there needs to be balance, there need to, needs to be a harmony between the um, international obligations that we have committed to and our national obligations that we have committed to, um, we committed to our citizens. Um, and this is why I'm very happy that we have a dialogue with our government. Mr. Gotov, you uh, mentioned the decree, uh, the presidential decree. And I wanted to mention that actually it is a very important decree because it is testimony to the fact that uh, our state is committed to a uh, gradual development of human rights as a very important area of um, our national policy. We have uh, previously always said that uh, economic, uh, the economy comes first, the economic situation comes first, human rights second. Now we uh, are at, in a, at a different level. We, the country is much more stable and, and we can say that in fact human rights are a very important area. And when we work with our investment policies or economic policies, or when we implement uh, policies aimed at the support of entrepreneurship, we cannot ignore human rights. Because if we were to talk about our partners, if we were to talk about Kazakhstan and the EU, we need to understand that human rights are uh, the cornerstone of all of the uh, major political documents uh, signed or adopted by our governments. So to say that we do not approach um, 
in an acceptable way uh, the uh, commitments that we have undertaken, I, I think that would be wrong to say. And uh, in this sense, I am happy that in the presidential decree issued by our president, Mr. Tokayev, we clearly see, he says, that uh, the state must report every year about the measures it has taken, uh, steps that it has taken, and the state has identified priority uh, measures. Obviously, not everyone believes that all of the issues are uh, part of this plan. We ha have 26 uh, steps in this plan for now, but this is these are very important issues that were raised by civil society, and we will continue to work. We will continue to make sure that this package is expanded, is deepened. On the other hand, we need to understand that when we speak about the elaboration of any kind of roadmap in the area of human rights, we also need to have indicators. Uh, which will help us to measure um, the efficiency of our achievements. Of course, I might be mistaken, but I think that some of the EU member states adopted similar national action plans for human rights, but it would not be sufficient just to adopt a roadmap. What you need is not only identified priorities, um, but also indicators of uh, efficiency, of performance. And uh, the government, as a, well, rather, I, the government has identified the adoption of uh, performance indicators in the human rights uh, in relation to uh, sustainable development goals. Um, the, this is the UN Agenda for 2030, uh, uh, SDGs. There are very important 17 uh, goals that uh, have been signed by all of the member states uh, in the General Assembly of the United Nations. And uh, what has been identified for us, that the indicators and performance measurement has to be, for us, needs to be um, uh, linked to SDGs actually shows to a very balanced uh, perception, very balanced approach, not only from the state, but also from the civil society, because we can um, approach the same thing, the same situation or the same dish. Um, but if it, in the end we only have a statement or a pronouncement of some kind, that's not enough. If we want to continue the dialogue, if we want to say that they would need to be moving in a slightly different direction, then we need to talk about models of implementation that seem to be the best to us. And we need to try and convince our partners. We need uh, to discuss these things. And not a single country not a single country has a ready recipe, universal recipe uh, for this. Every country has its own path, and this path should not differ from the obligations and commitments that were undertaken internationally. Thank you, uh, Elvira Zimo. We'll continue the discussion. Uh, I'm going to ask you, but later, I'm going to ask you to elaborate on, uh, you know, uh, what you said that uh, 
in terms of values, um, uh, they do not apply in the same way to Asian countries. Uh, this is something that I didn't understand uh, quite well. Also, uh, I will ask you to inform us about this upcoming civic forum. Maybe give us uh, some dates uh, so we can put it in, in our uh, agenda. Uh, uh, you have raised many interesting uh, questions, but uh, uh, now uh, I, uh, I think that uh, it is time that uh, we continue our discussion uh, with the uh, initial statement uh, by uh, Jemis Turma-Gambetova, Executive Director of the Public uh, Fund uh, Charter for Human Rights. Uh, you have the floor, uh, Mrs. Turma-Gambetova. Thank you very much and good morning to our listeners and viewers. To everyone who's watching us and listening to us. Can you hear me? I am not sure if I can be heard. Seeing as we do not have very much time until Q&A, I will tell you very briefly about my record as a human rights defender. My human rights activities started in December 86, after we had some tragic events in the city of Almaty, uh, the December events, as they're known in the history of our country. In 89, 1989, when for the first time at the party congress uh, there was a call, an urgent call to try and investigate these um, events, I became a volunteer. Uh, and then I headed one of the working groups of the committee and, uh, to investigate these events. Secondly, my human rights activities uh, started in a more conscious way in, in 1989 when my colleagues and I Evgeny Zhovtis uh, and my other colleagues also establishing groups, we were trying to to find our way in the in this in this whole subject, human rights subject, and I witnessed the the creation of uh, human rights organizations in some of our neighbors, neighboring uh, countries, and some of the Baltic countries as well. And I remember the speeches in the first um, Congress, Party Congress. that uh, really puzzling for Gorbachev, I suppose. And then uh, in 91, we had the first visit of the General Secretary of RPI, Pino Reform International, Baroness Stern. And this is when I started looking into the problems in the penitentiary system and uh, human rights in the penitentiary system in particular. Unfortunately, In uh, 1995, 
One of our TV channels showed an execution by shooting, by firing squad, and uh, that was uh, that made an extreme, um, an immense impression. And this is why I started uh, working towards trying to uh, um, make sure that capital punishment is abolished in Kazakhstan. And this took, uh, it took 25 years of uh, daily struggle uh, and uh, uh, arguing every day that Kazakhstan is no worse than anybody else and that we must join the second optional protocol against uh, capital punishment, and we must uh, legislatively abolish, fully abolish cap the capital punishment. And currently, I am involved in the reform of the law enforcement authorities. We are creating service models of the law enforcement. And uh, I don't suppose I should talk about this in too much detail, but I'd like to address our uh, viewers and our listeners, our critics and, and our well-wishers. We say that when you're too close, you, you can't see the big picture. So I wanted to suggest that we can listen to each other, uh, that we do not criticize, that we don't condemn or we uh, do not deny rumors. Actually, a lot of work is being done the civil society and human rights organizations and the extent of their involvement in the plans that have been identified will determine the extent to which we become a, a human rights-based state. Some people say we're a young state. Well, actually, I don't agree. Uh, we have an ancient history, very long history, and over the history of our nation, we've uh, survived a lot of suffering, famines. Um, all the same things that happened in other post-Soviet states and, uh, and other states uh, in the world. It's a huge job to defend human rights. And I've gone through all of the stages in my career, starting with uh, complete ignorance and complete rejection of uh, the human rights. And now we are arriving at a consensus of sorts. We are starting to work together. And our human rights organizations still have a huge uh, job to do. We have undertaken a lot of com international com commitments in Kazakhstan, and we have still a lot to do towards them. That's it for me for now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Uh, uh, when uh, you said uh, we are an ancient uh, state, uh, I remember um, uh, uh, when I, I discussed with one of your politicians, uh, Yerman Mukhtar, who said uh, we don't build walls in the steppe. Uh, this is also the title of, of the interview I did with him uh, that really um, explains uh, uh, the culture of Kazakhstan, which is very ancient. So, uh, yes, t 30 years, that's the modern part, but uh, uh, the, uh, the culture is, is indeed uh, ancient. Um, I would like, uh, before I give the floor uh, to questions from the audience, uh, uh, indeed uh, to, um, uh, to ask Elvira Zimova uh, to tell us, uh, 
first about this upcoming uh, civil forum uh, she, she mentioned. And secondly, uh, to better explain uh, uh, the idea of the traditional values uh, and uh, um, you know, human rights in the context of Asian countries and so on, because uh, I'm not sure I, I really understood and uh, probably uh, um, it's useful also for the audience. Uh, so Alvira Zimova, you have the floor. As a rule in Kazakhstan, this forum happens every year and we invite NGOs, non-governmental sector, as well as uh, official representatives. And this is a brainstorm session where we discuss our opinions, we elaborate recommendations and suggestions. So basically it is a dialogue between the non-governmental sector. Because in Kazakhstan we, um, we have more than 22,000 registered uh, non-governmental organizations with different missions. Some of them work with local projects and they work uh, locally and some of them aim to uh, analyze or monitor. Some of the organizations have more ambitions missions and uh, the capacity of the non-governmental uh, sector, uh, the, uh, the organizations, is very different. But we can discuss uh, all of their experiences. On the other hand, we invite uh, officials so they can hear the, these opinions of the civil society. And as regards the upcoming forum, we uh, will invite uh, our partners, and it will actually uh, be in the context of this enhanced uh, cooperation between the EU and Kazakhstan. In essence, it will be uh, international for the very first time. And I think that's the right thing to do because this, uh, this event is exactly in the context of this new enhanced cooperation partnership, uh, partnership agreement that recently came into force. Traditionally, human rights is the, uh, an obligatory uh, part of the agenda, and I hope that this upcoming forum will be extremely constructive. And secondly, the question you had about the, uh, some of the Asian traditional values and European values. If we were to talk about human rights, obviously we cannot say these are European human rights and these are Central Asian human rights. Obviously, we have the same human rights. And I don't like this expression, traditional family values. You can't have traditional family values. These are eternal values. Uh, respect in the family, respect for your elders, respect towards your children. Because by respecting the rights of the child, we, we foster uh, his confidence uh, and his way of um, how he behaves, uh, uh, how he becomes a member of society. So the actual expression, traditional family values, uh, really uh, does not sound great to me. But there is another uh, 
another thing such as customs. Um, this can be geopolitical or national uh, customs, uh, traditions, and they cannot be ignored. When we talk about the promotion uh, of human rights, we need to understand that the perception of uh, a good idea that seems like a good idea to uh, a, Euro uh, a European citizen and say to the uh, citizen of Kazakhstan, the perception can be somewhat different due to a number of social conditions, economic conditions, due to customs in a particular locality. This is what I mean. On the other hand, when we talk about human rights and why we ask each other these questions, we need to be looking towards universal uh, international documents and we need to be looking towards the global trend. So why do we adopt important documents uh, in the UN platform? We always talk about recommendations because everybody understands that each country undertakes obligations, they, they do it consciously, and uh, we need to promote uh, them in a positive way. And we, we, when we look at human uh, rights um, enshrined in the International uh, Pact on uh, Social and Economic Rights, uh, uh, other rights, other documents um, related to, say, the rights of the child. We can see that uh, they, these documents talk about the best um, way to apply these uh, rights fully. And that's the right thing to do because the children are the next generation, children are the future of each state, so there's a clear priority. Uh, doubtlessly, there's a, a need to promote these rights of the child. And uh, also there are some vulnerable groups in the society. Uh, we need to promote equal rights and opportunities for them. This is an important trend for many countries uh, in the context of SDGs. And when we talk about the eradication of discrimination against women, we need to understand that this needs to happen um, by providing equal opportunities. If we were to remember the Afghan proje uh, project to um, empower women in Af uh, Afghanistan, in fact, Kazakhstan was one of the first to commit, to, to, to undertake an obligation to contribute to the empowerment of women in uh, Afghanistan, which is extremely important. We have another project in Kazakhstan. Uh, it's uh, cooperation, women's cooperation. Each woman has opportunities, obviously, but we need, need to remember that each woman needs to have the right uh, environment, the right conditions in order to be able to enjoy uh, these rights that are enshrined in these uh, important documents. We need to cooperate, we need to unite our efforts because when non-governmental organizations consolidate and promote human rights, this will be more efficient than if you have only one organization doing this. Same goes for uh, women's rights. Just uh, a question. Uh, minute, uh, uh, I want you to join uh, the dialogue. Yes, uh, I will give you the floor immediately. Uh, 
it's just a, a... so we can talk about different models of human rights be it european model of rights or african human rights human rights universal and in the preamble of the universal declaration of human rights and many other international documents we talk about equal rights and opportunities and if we were to talk further i guess then each um, nation has customary law and uh, individuals people are always the cornerstone of of this um, common law and uh, we have the old law we call it the step law that contains some of the universally recognized standards and norms respect for your elders um, education educating of the children respect for women in fact in the um the, our customary law it was always there and the concept that we had before economy first human rights later it really um, held back the development of our fundamental rights and freedoms and the current approach means that human rights come first before the economy before other things i fully welcome this concept and this approach until we make sure that the individual rights of uh, an ordinary citizen are respected we cannot move forward when we speak about traditional values when we speak about customary law step law uh, whatever you would like to call it uh, it doesn't mean that uh, you can beat your wife because uh, this is traditional the traditional way of doing it we are clear about that i cannot hear i cannot hear it allows is... uh, people to humiliate women please do not interpret this the way you would like to i never i never said this you need to respect the dignity of a woman uh, it was there before and it is there and i hope will be there it's very clear uh, elvira zimova your perspective what was said by my colleague, Madame Jamas, her answer really is uh, uh, just a continuation of my answer to your question, the difference between European values and uh, Central Asian values. When we talk about the abolishment of uh, the capital punishment, that's another very important issue that uh, in fact, affects uh, affects many other issues such as the right to life and the right to health. And we need to recognize that despite this very important issue, or the importance of this issue, uh, not all uh, nations have abolished um, the death sentence. And if we were to look at the history of Kazakhstan, which my colleague has mentioned, never in uh, our society was uh, 
was it used as uh, as punishment. We always used more human uh, humane ways. The maximum punishment uh, for a serious crime was uh, exile uh, from the clan. Um, so this person would be exiled. He, he would be living alone, uh, away from his community, from his village, and that was the the most serious, the, the maximum punishment. Um, so when we uh, undertook in the 1990s to move towards the abolishment of uh, the death sentence. And actually, uh, we had a moratorium in place for a long time, but even for us, it was very difficult to push this forward because it wasn't just signing a law or signing a decree by which you uh, abolish the, the death sentence. We needed to persuade our public. Um, this is what uh, Mrs. Magometova was saying. She uh, dedicated 25 years of her life to uh, to persuade the public and the government. And this um, decision, very important decision, was taken by our president, Mr. Takayev, to abolish the death uh, sentence. We have uh, gone a very long way, and uh, the public, we think, should. Uh, sh was persuaded, and, and obviously there are issues in each country, but from the point of view of the value of human life as such, and it doesn't matter if we are talking about um, ordinary citizens where uh, the state must uh, is obligated to provide access to high-quality health care. On the other hand, we are talking about a death sentence as a possible measure for a serious crime. Well, actually, these two very important issues. Um, in these two issues, we can see clearly that uh, we can see the value of human life. And no one can decide who lives and who dies. No one uh, is supposed to take this decision. And when the state has uh, all of the instruments, all of the tools, it can decide what it can offer as an alternative. So it is not really an issue whether we abolish, or whether it's not the only issue, whether we abolish or do not abolish the death sentence. Actually, we can now talk about uh, various alternative measures. Um, if the court found someone guilty, uh, obviously the uh, criminal needs to be punished. We need to, to think what can be offered as an alternative. And. If somebody is, in, is imprisoned, for, for example, as a way of punishment, we also need to understand that the UN sets standards for the minimum conditions for detention of inmates. And these standards must not be ignored by anyone. And another thing that our human rights defenders are promoting in the context of the decision of the head of state and all of the relevant, the relevant ministry, which is the Ministry of Internal Affairs, is doing, they are reforming the penitentiary system. They're improving the conditions in the facilities, uh, detention facilities, so that we can uh, provide these guaranteed minimum conditions of uh, detention uh, of inmates. But the most important issue here is the right of the individual to, uh, to, to life and to health. That's a long way. That's, this is a long road. And each uh, country 
will take its own way towards it. But the main thing is that we we actually finish up uh, in the same place. We, we reach the same um, goal. And actually, in the framework of the UN Human Rights Council, there is a, a mechanism called the UPR, Universal Periodic Review, which is the evaluation assessment of the human rights situation in each country and each of the member states of the UN Human Rights Council has to go through this UPR, this process, uh, every uh, once every four years. And since the very beginning of the introduction of this uh, mechanism, we were an active uh, uh, party to this. In the very beginning, I mentioned an open invitation to all of the special procedures of the UN. Uh, it is uh, an open invitation. We, ha we never called it back. Uh, it is an open invitation. Any rapporteur may, uh, UN rapporteur may visit Kazakhstan and uh, make their own conclusions and uh, offer their own suggestions and recommendations as to how our human rights policy can best be uh, improved. And uh, in 2019, very recently, we went through the third cycle of, the, of UPR, and 87 of uh, percent of the recommendations were elaborated by the uh, national delegations in the UN Human Rights Council were um, accepted for implementation by, by us. This is not two or three. This is 87 percent which is another testimony to the fact that we are committed, very clearly committed, to moving towards um, a, a policy in this area. Well, uh, I have only one question uh, from uh, the audience, uh, but I think uh, uh, it's been one hour since uh, we are answering uh, that question. It comes from Chingis. Chingis asks, uh, to what extent uh, human rights are applied and enforced in Kazakhstan. I think this was the subject uh, of, of our discussion. Uh, we are, uh, our time is uh, running out, and uh, I would like to give uh, both of you uh, uh, the possibility for a concluding uh, statement. Uh, I would like to start with uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Turmagambetova. Uh, you have the floor for uh, final words uh, today. I suppose this is a philosophical question as well as a practical one. We are uh, moving towards a situation where all of the state authorities would respect human rights, not only in the penitentiary system. This also um, that, sh that should also encompass uh, the police, uh, the healthcare system. So basically, the whole range of issues that are related to human rights in one way or another. So all of the of our, of our human rights uh, groups, uh, they work with different issues, not with the same one. They Some of them work with the healthcare system, some with the pension system, some uh, in the area of education. And all of this needs to be somehow tied together. I don't know if it's uh, always possible, because sometimes you do something, you, you 
meet some kind of a goal and objective and then something else happens and then you start all over again. So uh, civil society together with uh, the authorities, uh, I think we, we can do the maximum and we need to to welcome that. I didn't, I didn't quite understand the, the question from Chinggis. What did he actually mean? And in what area? I can, I can, I can elaborate because I just received the, the second part of his question. Uh, he says, to what extent uh, the Kazakh government recognizes the definition of human rights set up by EU standards? So it seems to me that we have been saying and we continue to, uh, to say that human rights are universal and we cannot uh, say that these human rights uh, are European or Asian or African. Human rights are universal. This is something you get when you are born. And the aspiration of each state, if society, towards a full respect of, of human rights, and there is an, there's a number of them, political, cultural, economic, social, etc., many categories of uh, human rights. So this aspiration is there. The question is, how do we do it? How do we achieve it? With, and once again, without civil society, without the whole of the population, the government itself, alone by way of decree will never be able to solve this problem. So we need to keep the dialogue going between the government and the, the public and, and the uh, presidential office. It needs, it needs to keep going. So the, the establishment of the ombudsman's office is now actually gaining momentum. And we must not forget. And this is something that I always say to my colleagues, work constructively. We have different platforms in Kazakhstan. We have advised the advisory body in the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs. We have various public um, councils and in uh, the various executive uh, authorities and officials including governmental officials must not avoid talking about this they need to be on the contrary they need to be listening to the public and they need to, to um, help find a consensus for the very first time in Kazakhstan we will have elections in the local uh, authorities, we call them Akims. And uh, the next stage will be district Akims, and so on and so forth. So we start with the local self governance. People will decide how to spend the local money, how to develop, where to live, how to improve the place where they live. So there are many things here to discuss, and uh, we can't say that that this particular issue is resolved this particular way, I can't say that. If I can pick up 
on the thought that uh, Madame Gemos has just um, expressed as a, an answer to Chinggis's question. I don't know if Chinggis lives in Europe or in Kazakhstan, but I wanted to to say to Chinggis and to everyone else who is uh, watching and listening to us, this is the thought I wanted to express. I fully support what uh, Madame Gemos has uh, said, Mrs. Tomagambetova. From the point of view of human rights itself, there shouldn't be any kind of European standards or uh, Kazakh standards. When it comes to the mechanism of achieving them, well, then the European Union, the European Parliament uh, define their own model uh, of the mechanism that will help them achieve uh, human rights. And Kazakhstan um, defines their own, uh, its own model. Uh, the government has identified uh, priority measures. We have three packages of priority measures that were announced by the president. And another uh, fourth package is also coming up. And uh, the implementation of this mechanism needs to be assessed. It's easy to say that this is wrong and that is right, but not everyone is born as a teacher. To be a good teacher and to promote knowledge, you also have to, good, to have good students. So uh, there are different components in this process. You can't live in a, um, on an island uh, and uh, and somehow be a society if you live alone on an island. If I see some problems in a, in a society, I need to roll up my sleeves, I need to start working. And if I have an idea, a suggestion, I have to convey it and I have to suggest ways of solution. And this is what we have in Kazakhstan right now. Uh, this is what Mrs. Tormagambetova is saying. She's a member of the National Council of Public Trust, which is a council that was established under the auspices of the president, which works on the um, basis of close contact with the public. Uh, and I don't know um, what's uh, traditional for the European Parliament, but actually our National uh, Council uh, of Trust is made up of ordinary people. So basically, they come to the same platform and they talk to the president. And uh, I know that they are now visiting regions, including rural areas. Uh, villages are visited by the members of the National Council of Public Trust. They talk to the local authorities and the local residents. And this process seems to be the most effective because uh, you can't just be a monitor or an auditor. Um, there are many monitors, but somebody has to do the job. And who does the job? It is the country. Uh, in our particular case, it's Kazakhstan. In your case, it's uh, the European Union. The European uh, Parliament adopted a, uh, the Council of Europe and the European Union adopted um, a convention related to uh, the criminal justice system and the penitentiary system, the rights of the detainees. 
So I have a question. In a number of uh, European uh, conventions, why is there a right for third parties to accede to this convention? Mr. Gotov, you first, you, you spoke about European standards. Actually, uh, you didn't mean, uh, mention it. Chingiz mentioned it in his question. So why, by uh, promoting these standards, if you believe these standards are uh, the, uh, correct, why have you not uh, positively considered uh, the uh, Kazakhstan's request uh, to accede to a number of mechanisms in the area of uh, uh, criminal justice and penitentiary systems. This would be the right thing to do, and this will be uh, right uh, in view of the values of the European Union and the, Europe and the Council of Europe. Why not? You will have more partners, and not just the partners who make pronouncements or declarations, but partners who will actually do something. This is an uh, an ongoing question, and Chinggis is asking us, is it good or is it bad? I can't say. This is an ongoing process, and yesterday we were talking about um, the right to privacy, and it means that nobody can enter your residence without your consent. Well, actually, we have uh, the social media today. Everybody can um, have their own page and can uh, actually uh, share a lot of information, not about themselves, but also about their neighbors, about their colleagues, and that's also uh, interfering in somebody's uh, privacy. Today we have one instrument, but life changes. Tomorrow we might have five or ten instruments. The question is, to what extent does the society, does the country adopt these instruments, and to what extent we use it in our daily life? Do we understand that it is unacceptable to share in, on, a, uh, on a page in social media uh, information about somebody else, about a third person? This is what we need to be working on. Indeed, uh, we are now all moving towards a universal digitalization. And uh, we all have uh, passwords. Uh, ID numbers. So there's a prob uh, there's a problem there as well. How do we um, uh, keep uh, our ID numbers, our personal numbers, uh, private, so they're not shared on the uh, social networks? And I can just echo what uh, Mrs. Azimova has just said. My private life, my uh, home is my fortress. And I have to provide, I, I provide consent to interference in my privacy. Because by interfering in uh, somebody else's privacy, we, um, we are breaking the very important um, uh, rule. I, I agree with uh, Mr. Tumagambetova and with Elmira uh, Zimova. Uh, privacy is a big concern for the European Union, and the European Union is actually setting standards uh, also for uh, the, the international platforms. Uh, I um, uh, also uh, would like to say that uh, human rights are universal, but uh, the uh, European continent uh, is equipped uh, with the Council of Europe, which is a uh, unique organizations which uh, is setting uh, standards and uh, the Council of Europe, uh, you, you mentioned it, of course. Uh, unfortunately, I, our time has uh, run out. Uh, uh, I think we have used it well. 
the issues are uh, complicated, uh, but uh, this uh, discussion has been a proof of uh, uh, openness, uh, of cooperative spirit, and uh, I think uh, it will be uh, the beginning of a very useful uh, exchange, which uh, your active is is, is willing uh, to to uh, continue. So uh, thank you uh, very much, Jemisturma uh, Gambetova. Uh, thank you very much, Elvira Azimova. I would like also to thank uh, the interpreters. I would like uh, to thank uh, our our audience. Um, please uh, stay uh, stay tuned. Uh, read your active. And all the best to you. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you.